mercy leads us to repentance where we can have a mind changed into who and what you really are and who and what we really are and experience your quality of life. Holy Spirit, thank you that you speak through me in such a powerful way today that many people will be deeply impacted. Amen. Amen. My just first announcement, Elena said to me, what we're going to do is, if you want to contribute towards uh, Cindy and Clint, you can just put it in the uh, Ministry of Helps, and we will just uh, deposit into their account, um, if you don't know how to contact them or anything like that. You know, while I was worshipping, you know, I was thinking <clears throat> that the Word says that uh, all Scripture is basically God-breathed or God-inspired. Now, the... the the word God, where the Bible says in Genesis 1 verse 26, is the word Elohim. Now, <clears throat> the word Elohim is the plural of the word Eloah or El. Uh, I mentioned it a couple of times here. <clears throat> so, the, the word God literally means in the Hebrew, the divine ones. The divine ones. That's what it means. It is actually wrongly translated to say God. You, you must actually say the divine ones. Um, now, I'm not saying uh, we, we can, you know, when I say this, we can think, are you saying that there are so many gods, you know, that you can worship any kind of a God? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying what is written in the original there. It says the divine ones. In the beginning, the divine ones created the heaven and the earth and then it goes on in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 and it says the divine ones is one okay they are in absolute unity with each other they are in a family relationship and they are so much one and that's what we're going to talk about today you know that you can actually not see them uh, separate from each other as Jesus said if you have seen me you have seen the father why do you ask me to show you the Father? For if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then Jesus comes in John 17 and he prays to the Father. He says, this is my prayer, that they will be one as we are one. Because there's a certain dynamic there that we need to understand. You know, and, and if all scripture is Elohim breathed, the divine ones breathed, uh, uh, family orientated basically you know um, if God comes and he and he speaks and, and and the divine ones come and they decide to do something or say something or inspire something it carries the very attributes and the very DNA of the divine ones or God and we know that God is Father Son and Holy Spirit that is the divine ones. The divine ones defined as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, that is how they live. That's how they functioned from, from ever, from, from, from eternity. It was always a relationship. It was always um, equals looking at each other, beholding each other, inspiring each other, um, finding life in each other, um, and enjoying one another. Uh, to the point that when we, see, when we look in the Bible, we see that, these, uh, th that God in this uh, Trinity relationship could go and say, um, let us create the heaven and the earth. 
You know, I've said it here before, and, and let me just read the verse here. It says, Genesis 1 verse 26, And God Elohim, uh, which is El or Eloah's plural, said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Likeness means uh, 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 to have likeness in appearance and character. Okay, let's make man that he looks like us and have our character. That's what it says. <laughs> so whose doing was it that man would have the character of God? It was God's doing, not man's doing. That's what it says here. So the divine ones said this. And if they said, if God, if the Trinity says, let us make man, or the Trinity gives a word, it must be flooded with the very attributes of the Trinity. So we cannot in interpret any scripture outside of the truth that there is in the Trinity, or the life that there is in the Godhead, which is a family-orientated life, where we find things like love, and belief and trust and uh, um, kindness, communication, things like understanding. You know, it's all alive and it has always been alive in the Godhead. And then they come and when they say something, how can it be outside the parameters of who and what you are? Even with us, when, we, um, when I, I say, you know, I'm going to preach at a certain town and I, you know and I'm going to come back I, I cannot um, you know even if I just say I'm going to preach at a certain place it is always inside the setting and the reality of love for my wife and my children it's always inside of um, understanding that there is an okay at home to do this uh, in love for people. I can never reason outside of human dynamics whenever I say anything. And that's how we understand one another. That's how we judge one another. That's how we try and make out what somebody's motive is. And the very same with God. Whenever God said something, it was always inside the parameters of family relationship. Okay, right. Now with that in mind, let's read Genesis again here. Genesis 1 verse 26. And God... Elohim, now just Elohim there, to, 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 to say that the word Elohim is not plural, because you find some people that want to reason that away, the power you need to try and prove that that is singular and not plural, is what you will need to say that plurality doesn't exist in any language. I mean, it's like to say there is not such a thing as more than one. It is impossible. It cannot be done. So, um, when we see that, and that word Elohim in plural form is used over 2,000 times in the Old Testament. Over 2,000 times. And then it says this Elohim is Jehovah. Jehovah is, is, means Lord or, um, you know, is our God. So this this family relationship that we see there and those beings in there and how they live and function, who they are, is our God. So we've got one God. This God is this Trinity. Okay, that is who our God is. They said, let us make man 
in our image and in our likeness, in our appearance and having our character, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and, um, and uh, over all the earth and over, all e and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. One. Male and female created he them. Do you see here? <laughs> he, God sees man. And that was not just one man. It was like we would see God. But it was just not, not just one. It was a relationship. Here God says, let us make man that man can resemble us and look like us and be like us and therefore he had to create two. Male and female. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> the moment we start to see these truths, we start to value each other. We start to realize we enter into a brand new dynamic which was lost in Adam in the fall, which was restored in Christ, and now we are introduced to the original plan so that whosoever believes this truth can enter into that power. Isn't that awesome? So here he comes and we see how he makes man. And God blessed man and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Um, and then we go and look at the, the, the uh, Genesis 2 where it just describes in more detail how this worked. The Bible says in Genesis 2.15, And God looked uh, and God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and, uh, to dress it and keep it. This was just Adam without Eve. And the Lord God commanded man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. That word meet there um, means somebody of his appearance and character. Image and likeness. Okay, so, here God comes. He makes the animals... And he says, it is good. He makes the trees, and he says, it is good. He makes Adam alone. He says, it's not good. It is not good. For one man alone can never resemble the image and likeness of God, Elohim, the divine ones. Because life is contained in relationship. Life is contained in beholding somebody that is like you, which we're going to see right now. We read on here. It says, And the Lord God, sorry, yeah. And God, verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave name to the cattle and to the fowl of the air and every beast on the field. But Adam, but for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. So what he's saying here is, Adam, he said to Adam, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. So here are all the animals. Look at their character. Look at who and what they are. And Adam declared and could define exactly who and what 
every animal is. Because in the Hebrew, when you name something, you declare its character. That is the name. Okay? So he named them. Like you would, in, in Hebrew, you know, you would say, Jesus' name is Jesus. Why is his name called Jesus? For he shall save his people from their sins. He is the Savior. So what is his name? His name is Savior. Why is his name Savior? For he saves people from their sins. So you can see who and what he is in the name. So here Adam comes and he names all the animals and he finds that there is none like him. So he was still alone. So to be alone doesn't mean you, you don't have anything or you don't possess anything or, or, or you are just physically alone. It means that there is no one that you can look at, that you can say, this is exactly what I am. Okay. Then the Bible says, and, God, uh, um, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, um, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed, the flesh, uh, closed up flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her to him. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. Now what it says here is, here comes Adam, when something was taken out of him, and out of him was made something that's got his very design, that is of, the, in Afrikaans, this van sy it was made out of the very substance that Adam contained. Then Adam said, this is somebody that's in my image and in my likeness. And the Bible clearly says that Adam is a type and a shadow of Christ. And Christ, and when we talk about marriage, we talk about Christ and the church. Now that is amazing. That is amazing. When Jesus came to earth, he was alone. And on the cross, God took a rib from the side of Jesus and created, recreated mankind into a new kind of a being where Jesus could say, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Somebody for me where I cannot be alone for I am inside human flesh. And now he comes to his bride <laughs> and to us and he declares this truth to us so that we can say flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. Looking at the Almighty in human flesh. Now that is powerful stuff. That shakes religion. That talks to us. Uh, it, this is talking the very language of our design. One of the beautiful things that I see here is, you know, with Adam, Adam had to, when he looked at animals, and you know, animals then I don't think was as animals as now, because animals could talk to you. A snake could come and speak, you know, to, uh, to Adam and Eve. And the fact that they could have a language doesn't mean that they were of the same kind. So, what, what, what I like here is, it was not good for Adam to be alone. 
here was the in the presence of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where you can just look at yourself and find your identity just in yourself and there's nobody else to look at where you can find your identity in what you behold it was a dangerous situation declared by God so let us create somebody in the very image and likeness of Adam and all of this was to me I believe to explain to us what's actually true between us and God today these are all types and shadows of really understanding what Christ has done for us. And here Adam comes, and when he could behold somebody that is bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, then only was he in the place where he could be helped. Help is defined in beholding somebody that is your equal, like you. So the way in which God... In the way in which we can be helped when we come to the throne of grace to receive help in the time of need would only be defined in seeing our equal seated in the Trinity. Christ completes me. Christ completes me. Yes, Christ completes us. Amen. So He is what He is when we can behold that truth then when we can see somebody because we've because we've been made from and we function like the Elohim like the divine ones like Father Son and Holy Spirit where Jesus beholds the Father and when he beholds the Father he sees himself and then says you are seeing the Father because that is the platform from where man was made we today have to see somebody that is truly like us he does he has to have a human body and we can behold him in the Godhead and we can say if you've seen the son you have seen me I'm not saying I'm the son of God what I am saying is we are one and Jesus said the, the works I do is not my works it is the work of the Father. So what he was actually saying is, the life you see me live now is the life of the Father living in me. And that's how they've lived from eternity. We were made and designed to function like that. So when we behold the innocent Lamb of God, slain, resurrected, seated in the, in, in the place of immortality at the right hand of the Father we are looking at the very glory of God as in a mirror Amen and then the Bible says we are changed from one kind of a glory and we're going to look at that verse which is the lost glory unto a different kind of a glory which is the glory that is in the Trinity which changes us where we see the manifestation of God in our lives where it is not us trying to live like God but where God lives in us where Paul said the life I now live is not I who live but it is Christ living in me because the Apostle Paul tapped into the reality of the Godhead and Jesus Christ gave mankind access to the Godhead glory to God <laughs> you start to think different about yourself you start to think different about people when you when you look at these things <clears throat> there's, there's a person that's um, that wrote something on Facebook and he said there um, one act of obedience 
is much better than a thousand sermons. Now, when, they, when he said that, he was actually saying, listen, it doesn't help you preach, preach, preach. You need to do, you know. And then I wrote there and I said, I fully agree. It's amazing how we can believe that one act of disobedience could make us all sinners, but we cannot believe in the one act of obedience. And we've got a hundred messages on how we must live right, but we don't want to go for the one act of obedience, which was done by Jesus. Glory to God. I don't know if he's going to put a like there, but that is the truth. You know, we have made too much of our obedience, which I believe is needed, but what we need to obey is this truth. How do you obey this truth? If I come to you and tell you, you know, your sins are taken away, how do you obey that truth? There was no command in it. How do you obey it? You believe it. That's why the Bible talks about the obedience of faith. <laughs> you believe it. So what happened in Adam was Adam and Eve fell and they started to find their identity in just who they are as an individual, not looking at God, not finding their identity in God, but in what God could bring forth in their life, in the manifestation. And because Adam was in the power of a representative, he dumped all of mankind into that death. And Jesus Christ had to come and end that he ended that by incarnating himself into that, died it away. You know, I, I was just thinking I need to touch on, on this one, one concept, which I didn't, um, I didn't even put it on my book, I don't know why. But when Jesus was baptized by John, the reason why everybody came out to the baptism of John is, let me, sorry, I don't want to confuse, let me just say where I'm going. What I've done in the Part of this message, I've explained that we come from Elohim. We were made from Him. Okay. Now I want to explain that in the Adam fell, and now how Jesus recreated the platform from where we can have the new life. That's where I'm going now in the message. So I'm going to talk about that recreation. That recreation had to ha what had to happen there is Jesus had to become sin. Now in the baptism of John, where Jesus took the sin of the world upon Him. It was a big thing in that time because about 100, 150 before Christ, the Jews started to evangelize for the first time. And their evangelism was to make proselytes, you know, of the Gentiles. That's why Jesus would say in Matthew 23 to them, you go over land and sea to make one proselyte, one disciple, but you make himself twice as much a son of hell as what you are yourself. And that's what they did. They, because to be born from hell is to be born from legalism. And they made people to be born from legalism. Now the, the, what they did there was, <clears throat> because Gentiles were seen as sinners, just because you're not a Jew, you're a sinner. It doesn't matter how holy you lived. Your holy life had nothing to do with it. Everything was about the flesh. Then they would circumcise these, these Gentiles. But one of the things they would do is, they had to be baptized. So they were baptized into Judaism. That baptism was the baptism of the sinner. Wherein Gentile sinners was baptized saying, I am now going to follow the law. And basically become a Jew. By definition of the baptism, it was impossible for a Jew to be baptized. 
because Jews was not sinners. You couldn't make a proselyte of a Jew. <laughs> Only of a Gentile. But here the, the, John comes and does the unthinkable and baptizes Jews. Declaring that every human is a sinner. And then Jesus, then the really unthinkable happened and he baptized Jesus. That's when Jesus took the sin of the whole world upon himself. That Jesus, in that state, went to the cross and died. So that the sin of all the world was taken away. So that we can stand again before God as what any one of the divine ones in the Trinity would stand in front of anyone else having the platform of a brand new relationship from where your life can now originate from what you behold. For what you behold would be true. It wouldn't be a lie. I know this is dogma, but my goodness, it's good. It's good stuff. Glory to God. That's how Jesus recreated the platform so that we can go to the world and introduce the world to this reality so that when they can call upon the name of Jesus what is the name of Jesus? the name of Jesus he shall take away the sin of his all people when you can call upon the fact that he took away all my sin you know if you if, if I um, <coughs> if you go and apply for a job or whatever then you give in your CV and maybe you've got some degree. What do you do? You call upon that degree. That's what you do. You call upon it. You make use of it. So when you call upon the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus spells your forgiveness. I call upon my innocence. I call upon my forgiveness. Those who call upon the name of Jesus shall not be ashamed, the Bible says. They shall receive a brand new life. But the problem is, we have been calling upon the name of Jesus as just a name like John and Peter and Kuas and Gert and whoever. But we have not called upon what the name means. For we've never understood the name of Jesus. And because you've never understood the name of Jesus, we called upon the name of Jesus as in, please save me from hell, and you believe that He was good enough to save you, and then something did happen by the mercy of God in our hearts. But we were robbed from the life He intended for us. And I'm busy writing the book, I think I'm almost halfway through on finances again, but, but uh, I'm, I'm going to entitle it... Um, Hope for the financial abused church. You know? Is that trouble? You don't give a financial abused person any hope. <laughs> That's a problem. You mustn't have hope. <laughs> you, you know, we, we, we can get into a place where we are so, so acquainted with how it would look if you have a good relationship with God. 
but we don't know God. I know every one of us, to a certain degree, we know God. You know, we have got experiential knowledge. But this is what Christ said. He says, to know Him is eternal life. To know Him is eternal life. What is know? The word know there is, as you all know, is the word know that the Bible says, and Adam knew Eve, and they beheld children. Intimacy, oneness, to be one with Him is eternal life. So when we can come and we can behold God in human flesh, seated at the right hand of the Father, and we can behold Him as in a mirror, saying, if you've seen Him, you've seen me, where the revelation is of your perfect union with Elohim, with these divine ones, you will have eternal life. Of which the first fruit is the fruit of the Spirit in your life, life, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, all the ki those kind of things where you're kind to people, where you find joy in your life and everything, and the last fruit shall be immortality in human flesh. All because of the very doing of God, and we are just introduced into this beauty by the Gospel. It's amazing that you can read the Bible and not see what I've just preached. Isn't that amazing? It's because it was written in the language of Elohim. But we've tried to interpret it in the language of master and boss. But it was never written in the language of master and boss. It was never designed to speak that language. But we put those glasses on and we try and interpret it. It's amazing you know, when, when you are in discussion with a person about doctrine, that the very verse somebody will quote to prove his point is the very verse I use to prove my point. But the point of departure is different. His is, I must become, the other one is, I am. That's the difference. Romans 10, I'm going to read Romans 10 and then end off with 2 Corinthians 3. <clears throat> but the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend to heaven, that is to bring the Christ down. Or, who shall ascend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. Th this was a way to basically say, say not in your heart. Who will go and bring salvation from there to here? He says, no, no, that's not what true faith says. True faith says, it is here. Okay. But what says it? The word is neither in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now, now, what Paul was saying there was, <clears throat> I am preaching a certain faith. I am preaching a certain persuasion. I am of a certain persuasion, and there's a certain persuasion that I try and make known to you. What is this persuasion that I have? If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, I've, I've preached on this before. I want to touch on it again. He says here, How can people be saved unless they believe on a certain truth? They must confess Jesus as Lord. Not make them Jesus Lord. Jesus is Lord. You confess Him as Lord. You see, I see that He is the Lord. Now what was the context of Lordship here? The context of Lordship was Israeli war. Wherein Isaiah 52 was used to say, um, you know, and, and I said it before here, you, you would find in a war situation that Israel would be in one place, and then the army would be in another place, on the, normally on the other side of a mountain or in a valley, and then they would have a runner or a messenger that would come and give message on what's happening in the war. Now, Paul likens that to, what, uh, um, to the gospel. What he's saying is, how can a messenger bring the message unless he is sent by the head of the army? You understand what I'm saying? He can't just well decide, well, I'm quickly now running and I am going to declare victory. We won. But nobody sent him. Meaning the victory is not true. Or we lost. He sent himself. You, you, you can't just go and say, you need to be sent. So he's, Jesus said, remember when Jesus in John 20 verse 20 appeared to the people? He says, as the Father has sent me, so sent I you. If you don't declare to people that they are forgiven... They're going to continue to walk in the sin consciousness. But if you declare to them that they are forgiven, then they will experience forgiveness. And as the Father has sent me, so sent I you. So he went to the Father. The Father said to him, declare peace to everybody. Then he went and he said, peace unto you. As the Father has sent me, so sent I you. With what? With a victory wherein we can declare peace to every human being. Jesus was sent. So how can we, how can we preach unless we are sent? How can we be sent unless there is already a victory? That's what he's using here. So he comes and he says, <clears throat> let's, let's read what was this message all about. We believe unto salvation. We confess with our mouth unto righteousness and believe unto salvation. What does that mean? I confess that through Christ righteousness came to me as a gift and I confess that I have been saved from the legalistic system as a way of life by what Christ has done. Therefore, I am now not ashamed and I see salvation manifest in me and I am saved from the oppression and the fear of the oppressor, the other nation that has oppressed me, that threatened my freedom. Hallelujah. So, if we would find Angola want to make war with us, and we are so scared 
you know. But we've got our army, and we don't have cameras or nothing. We've just, we just look at, at the, listen to the radio, you know, like years ago. It would be wrong if we declare that we won the war unless we've won the war. You must have won the war. And now, when they come and they, we win the war, what will happen? It will be declared unto us. So what will we say? When we believe with our heart that we have won the war and we declare South Africa with our mouths as the victors, we shall be saved from the torture and fear that there was in our hearts and the way we lived while being harassed by fear. And we will have a brand new life. Amen. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberation from legalism. There's liberation from fear. Amen. And the Bible says, He who looks into the perfect law of perfect liberation, look as into a mirror, and he beholds himself. Now, who is that message for? For the world. More than just for the world, it is for you. It's for you. When you look at perfect liberation, perfect liberation cannot be perfect unless your liberty equals that of God. Perfect liberation. You look into the perfect law of liberty. You believe and confess what you see there, you shall be saved. Amen. It's impossible to be saved without faith. Impossible. How will this truth live in you if you don't believe it? Look at the world. Look at the church that does not believe this. Are they saved from terror? Are they saved from fear? Are they saved from torture? No, they live in it. When we can be presented with the truth and we can find the dynamics of Elohim come to man and we can be declared to us, we can find the kingdom truth live in us. Glory to God. It's amazing how you can preach a message like this <clears throat> and it can be perceived as licentiousness or lasciviousness wherein it is just saying, you know, the preacher says, go and sin as you like. Blasphemy! You are spitting on Elohim. Not knowing what you say. You know, I've, I've, I've had a guy <clears throat> come and he, he, he wrote to me uh, a thing on, on, on Facebook, he said there that he wonders how many times a month I cheat on my wife. Yeah, <clears throat> he did it. And then he said, it's a beautiful story, you're going to hear this now. <clears throat> so he wonders this because I preach this, this message of just, you know, license to sin and everything. If this is a license to sin, I, tell you, I don't know. Then God must be sin. Because it's the only way sin can be born in you. Okay, right. <clears throat> And uh, wonder how many people I hate and think I need to repent and come to Jesus and be born again and all those kind of things. So, you know, I didn't even become angry. I just said to him, give me your telephone number. I want to call you. you he did. 
I called him and shared the gospel with him of what I believe. Three hours later on Facebook he writes, he says, I want to repent. I did not see the truth. I was against mercy, but I realized that today I made use of mercy. Would you guys forgive me, for I have dishonored this man of God. That's what this guy said. I was so amazed to see this. Because what I wrote there is, this is what I wrote in the post. I said, <clears throat> it's time for some people to come out of the closet. And this is what I said. I said, you can't, you can't proclaim that you are faithful to sister law, but in secret, when you read some real love, you flirt with sister mercy and grace. And you eat of what you call the forbidden fruit of the gospel of grace. Because what happens is, you find people, you know, say, the law, the law, the law. But when they sin, they say, no, no, God's a God of grace. But there's no grace for those who they preach to. It's only for them. So that what they're doing is they're eating of the forbidden fruit that they warn everybody against themselves. And I said, you must come out of the closet. And that guy said, well, I'm coming forth with the truth now. I'm also eating of the forbidden fruit. Mercy. Isn't that beautiful? And you know how wonderful it was to see the people on my page that love me embrace him and not yes you're bad this you're bad because the mind has started to change because you start to see the value of the person and that he's just deceived he just doesn't know the truth the only way that person could be saved from the lie that he was believing was when I could over the phone declare his righteousness his forgiveness and what Christ has done for him it's the only way it could happen. What is the message that was declared by, um, by, by, the, 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 by the messenger that came to the people? This is what was declared. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them that bring good tidings, that publish peace, that bring good tidings of good, that publish salvation, that says unto Zion, your God reigns now. Nothing potential. The truth. Redemption believed is salvation received. Salvation needs to exist in order for you to receive it. So what is the message? I publish peace unto you. I publish your war is over. I publish your sins are forgiven. I publish you are accepted. I publish you are not rejected. Glory to God. Those who believe that truth can be saved from the lie. 2 Corinthians 3 We also have been made able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, talking about the law, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was done away, how? shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious. For if the ministration of condemnation had glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. So, if the law could get 
Moses to be in such a place that light could shine from him? How much more can the ministration of your union with Elohim manifest the very life of God in you? And that simple verse, I find it it's difficult for people to believe because we didn't, never understood the dynamics of family. We've never seen God as a family-orientated being, yet He came and represented Himself as father, husband, brother. Look at relationship. My father, my father. This is my son. In whom I am well pleased. Let us make man. Let us. Talks about, I could also say it this way. Would it be okay if we make man? That is what it is. It's like, the best way I can describe it is a husband and wife happily married coming together and sitting, having a cup of coffee, just enjoying life and the one says to the other, would it be okay if we had a baby? Somebody in our image and likeness that we can share our life with that can grow up and live a life like our life. That we can give somebody the opportunity to know what this is like. But let us it spells, it's got relationship in its very DNA of equals. It, it, the gospel can never spell slavery. It is impossible if you understand the gospel. It can never be brought in there. Obedience to get something by acts of obedience can never be contained in the gospel. It is not there. There's no room for it. The only room there is, is a truth that you can behold as the truth about you. It needs to be true. So when you behold Jesus as the truth, you know, when we, when in, in uh, engineering terms, you would say, <clears throat> you will take a thing called a straight edge. A straight edge is a a piece of steel that is perfectly straight and you would take a head of a car and you would put it on the head and then you would see if light shines through to see as if the head is true meaning straight in line with the straight edge and Jesus is the was the straight edge wherein God and man looks the same. He is the truth about man. And if you believe the truth and confess the truth and can walk in the truth, you shall be saved. But we've had a gospel that was truthless. No truth. What truth is there in a message that says you owe God 10% of your money and unless you give it, He's going to curse you? What family value values is contained in such a message? Nothing. Nothing. It is just got death written all over it. 
What message is there that says, well, I've done it all for you, but what you need to do is walk ten times around town, bind the devil, and get a breakthrough. If you don't get the breakthrough, which I promise you, I, pr I tell you, go and preach the gospel. Now, you need to live right so that I can provide for you to preach the gospel. And if you don't get the living right, even if you wanted to preach, I will condemn you. You tell me, where's gospel there? The way you know when you hear the gospel that it's the gospel is, you find joy come to your heart. The Bible says, and the gospel was preached, and there was not great sorrow in the city, but great joy in the city. For the message made the people happy, for it was the message of their already attained victory. The Bible says, But their minds is blinded, for until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. The reading of the Old Testament doesn't mean I just read it. It means the belief and study and trust and reliance upon the old. You cannot see. But the veil is done away in Christ. Nevertheless, when it shall turn unto the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, listen to this, and I end off with this, with an open face, only when all legalism is taken away, through the revelation of what Christ has done, can you really behold who and what you are. We all, with an open face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the very same image, appearance, and character, from glory to glory, even as by this Spirit of the Lord, which is the Spirit of liberty. Only in the presence of the Spirit of liberation can you find that you behold something that you already are unto the manifestation of it in your life. It's a very funny way of talking because what it's actually saying is what I see here in my life is not up to standard to who He is. But when I look at who He is, as the truth about me, never minding this, what I see in my life, but seeing the truth, then that glory, that beauty that I see in Elohim, where I have been made part of, possesses the power to bring forth what is there here, and salvation is by God and not man. Glory to God. I want to tell you, if you want to run out here and try and explain this to somebody quickly in the street, it's going to be very difficult for you. Let this message be one that you just enjoy for yourself. That's all. And as you grow in this, you know what I found is the most effective way of evangelism is to understand these things. And once it becomes your reality, you understand how a human functions. And you know how to speak the language of His design in your presentation of the gospel. And it's easier to lead people to the truth. So enjoy it for yourself. Enjoy it for yourself. And you'll find a bubbling over happening to you wherein you want to declare the message, you know, where you feel I'm sent now, <laughs> you know. I want to tell somebody. When this 
comes to my mind and to my heart, I find that I absolutely detest any form of the fruit of the flesh. It's not who I am. It's not what I, what I am. It's, not, it's got nothing to do with me. It's not part of my design. I, I, I detest it. I don't want it. But I'm also very aware that hatred for sin can never set you free from sin. Belief in the truth does. Let's pray. <clears throat> you know, maybe you are here, maybe you are watching via, the, via television and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never come to the place where you say, Lord, the life I live, I don't say it's I who live, but I want to see you. And I want to call upon the name of Jesus. Maybe you've never called upon the name of Jesus. You've always called upon the name of willpower. You've always called upon the name of self-effort. You've called upon the name of some kind of a gospel that was not the declaration of your perfect forgiveness. Today is the day where you can receive Jesus and what He's done. Receive Jesus means I receive the fact that all my sins has been forgiven and I declare that He rules over all death. He rules over any form and voice of sin and guilt about my life and He is the truth about me. If you want to accept Jesus as your Savior right now, I want you to just pray with me. <clears throat> I want everybody in our church, let's pray together. I just feel that some people via the internet that's just going to receive Jesus today. Let's just pray together. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, your name spells my innocence. I believe the report. My sins are forgiven. Righteousness is mine. I've got no reason to fear. I confess you as Lord. You are the Lord that brought me the victory. I accept this victory. Amen. Father, I want to thank you so much that we could pray this prayer. I thank you, Lord, for people that have just received you right now and that their lives can be born from this reality. You are an awesome God. We love you for you first loved us. We lose our breath over you. You are breathtaking. You are awesome. You, you, you are greater than what we could ever imagine. What our mind could not think of, you brought forth to us. We welcome this truth to our lives. We, we are so uh, uh, overwhelmed with the truth of us being part of the platform of Elohim, who you are. Thank you that you are just yourself and that you have invited us, invited us into this. It is awesome. Our bodies are uh, available as instruments unto righteousness, unto the manifestation of your awesome life. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Thank you, guys. Uh, please, those of you that want to give there, just be yourself. Order the CD. Give it to some people. People need to hear this message. God bless you guys.